start. All right. Welcome back to um, Recovery in the Raw, where it gets real and raw and where we get raw about real life. Um, as you guys know, Jade is um, not here this week. She just had her baby and they're doing great. Um, so I have a friend and mentor on and we're going to talk about um, eating disorders, um, kind of what that looks like, what's behind it, what recovery looks like, and some of the challenges that um, someone would face with that. Um, I'm going to say, forgive me if I'm making a lot of noise today. I actually just choked on a piece of bacon and <laughs> I have this like these symptoms from I have long COVID. So I still have issues with my my throat and my cough. So if you hear that, that's what that is. Um, so I will go ahead and let her introduce herself and then we will get started. Well, hey, everybody. Um, my name is Christina Kite. Um, I'm a licensed master social worker in the state of Georgia. I'm also a person in long term recovery from substance use as well as an eating disorder. Um, worked with Cameron quite a bit. <laughs> um, very excited to be here. Um, I am the director of residential services for a community mental health organization that serves uh, 13 counties in Georgia, so Highland Rivers Behavioral Health, um, and also in private practice of Seasons of Life Counseling and Consulting. We're just getting that off the ground. That so is hopefully. awesome. Super <clears throat> excited to get that started. So It's so cool to me, like, what this relationship has become. So when I went through treatment... Um, Christina was actually one of the clinicians and she was my aftercare clinician. And then I went on to work at the program and then we were able to build um, a little bit of a different relationship as a, a peer and mentor. Um, so it's just been like full circle from day one, just watching it evolve. And then now seeing you like starting your own thing. is really cool. Definitely. So, definitely. Yeah. I'm super excited, super excited. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful that you guys brought me on to, to talk about eating disorders. Cause I think it's something that kind of in the recovery community kind of gets missed. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a stigma associated with it as well, right. just like with substance use. And, um, I mean, it's, I think we're all in recovery from something, so hopefully right. we can and I think, too, understanding the difference between, like, eating disorders and disordered eating. Yes. Because especially for women, and I think women in recovery, um, disordered eating, whether you have an actual eating disorder or not, is, is kind of a big part of that. Um, whether it's body image, you know, or uh, numbing with food. Um, so understanding and knowing the differences. And I also want to say, like, please do not self-diagnose yourself from this podcast. Please, yes. um, please don't. But if you think you may have... You know, some challenges with an eating disorder or disordered eating, um, I would strongly suggest um, going to talk to somebody about that. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I like to think of it as a spectrum. Um, so if you think of, you know, your relationship with food, uh, there's disordered eating. There's healthy relationships with food, of course, you know, and that's obviously the goal. Um, disordered eating. And then kind of at the far end of the spectrum is the actual diagnosed disorders. That's your anorexia, your bulimia, um, your not otherwise specified disorder. So there's, you know, a wide range. And just because you, you know, try to limit your, your food consumption, try to lose weight does not mean that you have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. There's a specific <clears throat> criteria for each one. Um, and certain things that actually impair your daily functioning. So it's not just about, oh, you know, I'm going to go on this diet and try to lose, you know, 10 pounds. Uh, for the summer, it's more of how it's impacting your daily life as well as your health. Mm -hmm. So uh, most people kind of think of anorexia and bulimia. Those are kind of some of the more common ones that you see kind of depicted in movies and TV. Um, unfortunately, there's kind of this cliche of the supermodels. They don't eat, you know, they have anorexia, you know, that kind of thing. And that, that, that's, that's not to say that, you know, eating disorders is not prevalent in those communities. I mean, people that work in 
the entertainment field and that, that particular industry, mm-hmm. gymnastics. We see it a lot with young girls in gymnastics, you know, young girls that go into modeling and acting. Um, so, and even sports, you know, of, of this pressure to be a certain size, right. to be successful in your, you know, athletic mm-hmm. abilities. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, it, it's, that's it. You know, there's definitely a lot more to it than just that. And it affects men as well. A lot of people don't think about that, but right. it does affect men as well as, uh, our friends in the LGBTQ community as well. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very high rate of that. And it's usually related to, a lot of people think it's about food. It's, oh, food, you know, you just don't eat, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the case. Usually in terms of treatment, we're looking at some of the emotional distress that's underneath it. So just like I always say, uh, our substance use was a symptom of our disease, Mm -hmm. disordered eating and eating disorder behaviors is the same thing. God, yeah, because it went, so I struggled, I struggle with body dysmorphia and disordered eating, and it's not like. Like you said, it's not like I just want to go eat a bunch of food. It's usually because there's a feeling under it, whether, and it's not, it's hard because it's not, you know, sometimes it happens when I'm stressed or if I'm anxious or if I really, if I'm feeling worthless. So then it's like this vicious cycle of like, a lot of times I'll like restrict, right. And I won't eat or I'll go on this crazy diet. And then like, then I'll have something, uh, an event or a feeling that triggers a feeling. And then I start feeling you know, worthless or I start spinning. So then I binge eat. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards I feel guilty and disgusting. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like this thing that just keeps, just keeps repeating. Right. Right. And unfortunately the, the, the answer is not, Oh, well just eat more food for someone who's restricting it's eat more. Or, you know, if you have a binge eating disorder, which a lot of people are not aware of, but that's someone that, um, eats large quantities and I'm talking I'm not talking about oh you you went out and splurged on ice cream or something like that it's it's actual very large portions Mm -hmm. and then you have those feelings of guilt um, that are associated with those so that's you know in terms of those types of things it's all right that's not the solution is oh let's change the way we eat it's more of looking at that anxiety that guilt Mm -hmm. that self-esteem that worthlessness um, I see it a lot with families that, you know, are very high achieving families. Maybe mom's a doctor, dad's a lawyer, and the kids might feel pressure to achieve. And the one thing they can control is what they eat. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it comes from uh, a sense of control. Maybe food and what, what you're putting in your mouth is the only thing you can control. Yeah. I know for me, uh, with my <clears throat> struggle with eating disorder, I've been diagnosed with what's called not otherwise specified eating disorder, which is kind of a, a multitude of eating disorder behavior. So I've, I've restricted, I've gone through periods of my life where I binged and purged, and I've also gone through periods of my life where I binged. And it's something you have to kind of constantly be aware of. So just like from recovery from a substance use mm-hmm. disorder, it's something you maintain on a daily basis. Right. Um, there's a variety of resources out there. So there's Obviously, outpatient treatment. There's uh, inpatient treatment, which I've been in. I've been in inpatient treatment before. About 13 years ago, I went into a a hospital for that. Um, So it just, and then there's, you know, other paths to recovery too. Some people find it through church. Some people find it through 12-step. There's actually 12-step meetings for eating disorders. Mm -hmm. They're called EDA meetings. Um, There's actually recovery residences for people who have uh, eating disorders. So um, there's a couple in, in Georgia that I'm aware of. Um, that have that accountability piece for when you're transitioning out of treatment and you need that that support. I think that's so. important that you kind of point that out. And I think that's something people don't think about. <laughs> an addiction is an addiction is an addiction. It doesn't matter if it's 
you know, something you have going on with an eating disorder mm-hmm. or substance use or shopping or sex or gambling. Like, it's not something that you can just stop. Right. And it's not something that one way works for everybody. Like, Correct. It all, it all has, you know, an underlying issue or cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some kind of trauma or a triggering event. We'll call it an activating event. Or some kind of, you know defect in the brain that makes it, you know, a disease or an issue. And then there's symptoms and behaviors and there's treatment. Like there's, it, it all follows the same exact kind of layout, but it's not something that you can just stop. Like there's so much more that goes into it. Right. Yeah. And, and it's with that, you know, the, the brain is the same way, you know, as well as with an eating disorder, you know, as well as substance use, they're kind of very similar, you know, gambling, (laughs) pornography addiction, um, it all affects that reward pathway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is that guilt and that those feelings of distress that are associated with it. But for some that have the eating disorder, um, those behaviors that restricting or that purging, activates that same part of the brain when you get high right so it's it's really kind of the same process Mm -hmm. for there's an assessment period of looking at okay well what what is this an eating disorder is this disordered eating is this something that you know is based on uh maybe your trauma because I see that a lot too so Mm -hmm. you see with especially with individuals who were homeless or um, experiencing substance use or grew up in a very traumatic background where it's like they, there wasn't food. Right. That's what, so I think that's what some of mine was is why it's so hard for me. I'm not going to say I don't have a healthy relationship with food. Cause I feel like that's just gonna, you know, continue that. But right. it's so hard for me to develop a healthier relationship with food because growing up, you know, a lot of times we did go without food, you know, and then even through my own, um, addiction in my journey, there were a lot of times that I didn't eat or we didn't have food in my house. Um, so then it was like food wasn't fuel, Mm -hmm. you know, food is numbing, food is comfort and food is safety. Exactly. And that's not, you know, that's not a healthy relationship with food. Um, that's just like using a substance, you know, to, to achieve the same thing. So it's hard for me to, do and I know that one of the things that you know they talk about is mindful eating mm-hmm. and let me tell you the first time I actually did that I was like I don't like half the shit I'm eating <laughs> like it's disgusting <laughs> the texture's terrible yes. and I don't really like this I just mindlessly eat this shit all the fucking time and exactly. then when I did that I was literally chewing because I I do this it's like you know chew three times and swallow you know when you're actually supposed to like really chew your food mm-hmm. and it got down to like the way it's supposed to be and I was like this shit feels nasty in my mouth like this is terrible I don't really like this and it shouldn't be a chore you know and yeah. what you're describing is a ritual so that's a form of disordering <laughs> yes so, yeah yeah eating certain things or only eating things a certain way or maybe certain textures yeah. you know um you know I know I know when I was growing up I, it was um my mother was in recovery from an eating disorder and before she became in, in, you know was able to find recovery through the eating disorder she um wouldn't eat ketchup yeah because it had sugar in it and it's like can you imagine eating french fries without ketchup right. or anything <laughs> without ketchup you know and i remember you know and and thinking about you know my own recovery of looking at I was like four years old, not wanting to eat ketchup mm-hmm. because I saw my, you know, kids obviously right. want to do what they learn behavior. Yeah. So there's that learned behavior piece of it too. Yeah. 
but you know kind of getting to the root of well, what's causing this right it's not just a desire to be thin or a desire to um you know lose weight or fit in with a certain crowd for some especially teenage girls we mm-hmm. see that but usually there's something else also going on as well that right. we always have to look at <clears throat> so whether it, and i know sometimes it can be like um especially from what i've read or seen um a lot of times there can be women or I guess it could be women too that have some kind of sexual trauma. Yes. Um, you know, that can be a big piece of that. Um, you know, whether it's to deal with it or to change your body image so you won't be touched. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean it it's really, you know, like you said earlier, it's not cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. No treatment is cookie cutter, you know, and we don't want it to be. You right. know, it needs to be individualized. We need to look at, you know, what is that person struggling with and what is going to what does recovery look like for them right and I think so what recovery looks like to them is I think it's hard for people to wrap their head around and even when I first started working in the field it was a little difficult with me being in recovery myself like learning that what you may think or what the world may think or what their family may think is Mm -hmm. successful recovery may not be what is successful or recovery for them um you know, and getting rid of those expectations. Like, if they're making any kind of change that's benefiting their life or they're living healthier in any kind of way, maybe that's just what it is for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I see that struggle a lot with the eating disorder community because it's, it's obviously there's a medical component to it mm-hmm. as well. So, somebody who is restricting at severe levels where they are doing actual physiological damage to their body. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've, I've treated women that like unfortunately, uh, absolutely. I mean, I've had women that, that I've treated in the past that were in wheelchairs mm. because they were so malnourished that, um, even standing up raised their heart rate wow. to the point that they could have a heart attack and die. So that, that's the extreme end. That's the, the, the end that, okay, yes, you need inpatient treatment. Right. You, you might have to be hospitalized first. And, um, it's a scary thing for those women, you mm-hmm. know, of having to be on a feeding tube and, uh, things like that. But, the good news is, is with treatment, there is long-term recovery available. And that's kind of a tricky thing, too, because it's like you're surrounded <clears> by food. Right. That's one of the things I want culture. to talk to you about. Like, what do you, how do you, how do you, because you can't, so, like, I, I don't, there's not a bag of meth when I go to the grocery store, right? Like, <laughs> I, would hope not, I would hope not. And, like, alcohol. <laughs> it depends not, on what part of town you know, you're in. Yeah. I don't even, like, unless I go down that aisle, you know, it's not there. Like, there's mm-hmm. so much that I can avoid and they tell you people places and things you know but you can't get away you literally cannot live without food right. you can't avoid food right. and food is such a like you said a cultural thing whether it's with holidays or mm-hmm. you know it's there's yeah. you can't so how how do you do that? i know you know how hard it is just for me and i don't i'm not on you know the the severe end of things i just i have some work to do but i'm not you know and i know how hard it is for me um so i couldn't imagine how difficult it would be to navigate if if it was an actual like eating disorder or further down you know on the severe end of the spectrum of things like mm-hmm. how so for me my recovery looks like constantly kind of questioning what my motives are with food mm-hmm. and you mentioned mindful eating that's a huge part of treatment you a lot of people might hear it also um called intuitive eating so what kind of is described as a healthy relationship with food is eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full. Mm-hmm. So listening to those hunger cues, 
Um, am I eating because I'm bored? Right. Am I eating because I had a really rough day at work and I'm upset? Or am I truly hungry? And seeing food as a life source and a source of nourishment, um, something that you need to survive and something you enjoy. Right. You know, it doesn't need to be, you know, just bad. bad. <clears throat> like, oh, I'm just going to cut out all carbs and sugar <laughs> and never, 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 you know. Um, and, and being able to question whether my relationship with food is drifting into that eating disorder or disordered eating behaviors, or is it something that... Um, you know, I'm, I'm having a healthy relationship with food Mm -hmm. and it's constant. You're constantly checking it, you know? Um, and for some people that might be not restricting, you know, um, usually in the beginning it's, we see this a lot, you know, with like anorexia, you start out with a, a a fad diet Mm -hmm. is I'm only going to eat so many calories. I'm only going to eat so many meals. I'm only going to eat so many times a day. I'm going to fast for this many hours. So trying to get away from those numbers right? because, you know, we try to avoid numbers as much as we can, but I mean, they're everywhere right. and weight sizes going God. shopping for clothes, yeah. you know, I mean, it can be very distressing. So right. has anybody noticed by the way, <laughs> that the sizes have changed. Something <laughs> right, dude. I think they're doing yeah. this shit to us intentionally. Right. Probably. I have a pair of pants from God, eight years ago. Right. They're a size five that I can fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, now most of the time, Nine to eleven is what I'm in, but I still fit those size five. So somebody please explain to me <laughs> what the fuck changed. I think Why? there's actual research that shows that they they've actually what what was a size twelve compared to a size twelve of today is, it's di- not, is different. I'm like, what yeah, the hell? So. And then you know, ju- and I think that's where a lot of this comes from now is the expectations that are put on us in society, whether it's men or women, mm-hmm. what we're supposed to look like, what we see on social media, and everything's about, you know... Which changes day to day, right. by the way, so... <laughs> it's such a shit show, dude, and, like, I think that's what makes it so hard to navigate, and I try to be really careful with Elena, because I know the things that I struggle with, and I don't want her to have the same issues, so I really try to... That's really what has started me over the past few years, trying to focus on being healthy and fueled instead of, like, little and whatever. Um, Because I don't want her to struggle with those images. So I'm trying to shift my relationship with body image and food so that, you know, she doesn't struggle with that because Mm -hmm. it's not about a size. You know, I want to be healthy and strong and, you know, I don't want to be tiny. Like, I still struggle with my body image, but there's... it's. It's a fucking, it's a mess. It's a lot. It is. It's a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a tall order to try, especially as a mother to try to navigate and instill those values. And, and, and I think that recovery from any need disorder really is the the focus of being healthy and being strong, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's not to say that someone with an eating disorder can't, you know, um, change the way they look, you know, but looking at what those motives are and then also looking at what is, your motivation, what is the key issues? Am I taking care of myself? Right. Am I practicing self-care? Am I managing my anxiety? Am right. I managing my depression? Which is usually where a lot of those things start. Mm-hmm. So uh, figuring out what is it that, what message am I sending to my daughter? Right. You know, or right. my son, you know, you know, and that looking at, hey, is that healthy for them? Right. And because like, for me, I know a lot of my, and I don't, I'm, a, I'm sure I got this, you know, from messaging along the way and from the world in general, my worth, 
Um, it tends to be wrapped up in my size. You know, what do I look like? What is my... And the only, honestly, and this is... So, body dysmorphia is usually a hyper-focus on a... It's not just in general, like, body image. It's a certain areas mm-hmm. of your body. Um, So, my I don't mind anything else other than my stomach. Mm-hmm. Reality, dude, I've had two C-sections. I had surgery when I'm 10 days old. I'm never going to have the image that I have in my mind. But it doesn't matter what size I am. That's all I can focus on. Right. And I feel huge and disgusting. Even when I was, like, strung out and 120 pounds, I felt the same way that I do today. And I realized recently, looking at those pictures, that, like, there's something I got to work on. Mm-hmm. Like, because it doesn't matter what size I am, I'm never going to feel worthy or good enough. Right. Because there's something <laughs> that's not right. right, communicating right with, you know, my beliefs and how I see myself. And even if your stomach look how you want it to would look it in your head, matter? Right. Would, would, would you still, I would, would still you feel, feel the same way? Exactly. Right. And then, so then, you know, then that feeds into my, you know, my eating. Cause that feeling of worthlessness triggers my binge eating. So it's just, yes, it's a, it's, it's a vicious cycle. It, it definitely can be. And, and, and something that I think we always have to, to be aware of, yeah. you know, it's, it's, especially cause you know, you go to work, you go to school, you see, you know, other people, oh, I, you know, I started this diet. And then, of course, with social media, yeah. I mean, you can't get away from it. So the constant right. you know, pictures of other people and comparing right. yourself and, and feeling like you, you don't measure up. Yeah. And the key is going to be looking at the not measuring up, that feeling, yeah. and working on that feeling as opposed to my stomach's never going to look how I want it to look. Right. Because... If it's not your stomach, then it's your nose. If right. it's not your nose, it's your feet. <laughs> yeah. If it's not your thighs, you know, I mean, it's, it, it can be a, a, a slippery slope, mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to describe it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's constant. So, having those conversations, seeing a therapist, mm-hmm. maybe it's somebody from your church, maybe it's, I mean, there's sponsors also with EDA, just like there is with 12-step. There's different programming. Um and working, sometimes it means working with a dietitian. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't know. A lot Learning. of people think a dietitian, a nutritionist, it's, oh, what does that look like? Right. It's actually having, like, in the beginning, it might be a meal plan. Right. You know, and figuring out what you're going to eat and what, what, and then learning to listen to your body. Right. Um, and balance of, like, because like we were talking about earlier, you can't just, and language, God, language matters, no yes. matter what it is. Um, so, one of the things that I've learned through the past years is, like, there's no good and bad food. No. You know, there's fun food. Yes. I try to call it fun food instead of bad food because then that, that feeds into this cycle. You know, whether we're talking about good food and bad food or, you know, language with body image or numbers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the more we use that derogatory language, just like with substance use, you know, the more it feeds this belief and this cycle and the stigma around things. So I think if we're just mindful, too, about what language we're using, mm-hmm. that can... Yes. Shift. There's tons of research about language, dude. Even with emotion, like if you label it wrong, you experience it wrong, right? So the language you use matters and it has a reaction in your body. Mm-hmm. So learning how to shift that from, you know, things that are not beneficial for the recovery to things that are going to move you towards where you're trying to go, I think can make a, a difference too. Not that it's going to fix it, but it can Makes a huge make difference. a difference in it. And actually at, at a lot of the inpatient facilities that I worked with, with working with women and, and men that have subs, uh, substance use disorders and eating disorders, 
um, which is very common. Usually, the, if you have an eating disorder, sometimes there's usually a, either a substance use disorder or a mental health disorder right. of somewhere. You know, it's I call them the unicorn. If right. you can find someone always... without an eating disorder that doesn't have some type of mental health yeah. disorder or something going on, same thing with a substance use disorder. Yes. There's usually always co-occurring it's, something. It, absolutely. Right. There's something else going on is at the inpatient facilities that I've worked, They we get away from numbers. We don't usually use sizes. We don't talk about weights. We don't talk about... Um, calories, portion size, grams, how many sugar, Mm -hmm. you know, grams of sugar, because for, for people who are struggling with that, they become hyper-focused on those things. And it's hard to really form that healthy relationship with food when you're focused on that. I always think of like, um, even if you're not, there's not a malicious intent behind it, but somebody might say, oh God, I don't, I wouldn't want to ever be 200 pounds. Right. And it's like, But someone standing right next it's to you is 200 pounds, and, 200 you're pounds reinforcing that and, and you don't mean anything by it. You know, you're talking about yourself, right. but if you think about all the different shapes and sizes of body, right. you know, someone who's 200 pounds who is 5'4 versus right. someone who's six feet tall, it's going to look different. Right. But they just hear the 200 and they go, oh my God, I'm 200 pounds. You know, right. I, I need to not be 200 pounds. And I think that's so. something that people don't realize. Um, I actually just had a conversation less than a year ago with um, someone in my family that I felt uncomfortable around. Mm-hmm. You know, but my body image felt, I felt worse around them because they unintentionally made, and I'm not going to say made me feel because nobody can make me feel anything I don't allow them to, but unintentionally I felt shame about the way I look because of the way she would talk about herself and other people. Mm. She never said anything to me. But to me, I'm like, okay, well, I look like her. My stomach looks like that. I'm the same size, so she must think that I'm disgusting. Right. And not even, not even thinking about it, you know, that reinforced my beliefs and my struggle with my body dysmorphia that I'm disgusting and right. it's not okay to look like this. Right, right. Yeah, and it's, a lot. it's. I and try to be really careful when I talk around my kids about people, and I'm like. Yeah. You know, people, people are, everybody's different, you know, and you yeah. never, honestly, you never even know, like, maybe they have something medical going on, or maybe they struggle with eating disorders and body dysmorphia, like. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, it's not always the case, but there's a certain amount of weight gain that's associated with recovery from substance use disorder, <laughs> yeah. you know? Especially. I haven't to wrap my head around the fact, that like, I did meth for 10 years, so I was the smallest, I will, I wouldn't, I shouldn't have been that small. And in the beginning, my weight was a huge trigger, trying mm-hmm. to wrap my head around the fact that that was never the size I was meant to be, and I will never be that size again, because I literally was just eating shards and honey buns. Like, that's not real. Like, I'm <laughs> never going to be that size. And even when I was that size, I wasn't happy. Right. You know, so it didn't matter. Um, you know, so it's that, the stuff in my mind and my beliefs that I have to work on, um... Sorry, my Siri was going off, so I was trying to make sure it didn't interrupt the podcast. Because <laughs> no. now I'm like super paranoid because it fucked up last time. So <laughs> if you see me checking, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> it's it, it's 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 a lot to th- to think about, but you know, there's there's a process for it. And I th- everything's a process. Yeah. I don't mean to sound like the cliche therapist. God, I used every, to hate hearing every, that. Every, everything's a process. <laughs> everything's trust the process, yeah. right? What is that? I think we have yeah. it stitched on a pillow God. somewhere. But you know, figuring out, you know, what does what does your life look like and what do you want it to look like mm-hmm. and what is healthy what what's going to be healthy for you and for your family and for your children mm-hmm. and are you really motivated to to get to that point are you what the changes need to be made for some people it's hey coming into treatment hey i just need to address my substance use right. I, i'm not ready to address the disordered eating right now 
of course, we have found that it's best to address both, which is why you see a lot of these facilities that have kind of the disordered eating track that mm-hmm. goes along with it. But being able to uh, really get to the roots of what is causing your emotional distress. Mm-hmm. Is and it I your think- trauma? Is it... Your self-esteem, where did your self, where did your issues with self-esteem come from? Right. You know, it's like, okay, was it a dysfunctional relationship with your family? Mm -hmm. Was it an abusive relationship that you were in? Like what, what's going on underneath the surface? Right. And I think when you're able to, I know for me anyways, when somebody was able to open the door and kind of get their foot in and start looking at, because when I came into treatment, I was like. I just need to quit using drugs. Like, that's it. I just need to quit using drugs. <laughs> if you can drugs, fix that, we're good. And I'm good. Um, but what I realized and what y'all started to do to me was like, when we started looking at how do you stop using drugs, then it opened the door to, you know, things that happened in my childhood and messaging that I had, which in turn, there's like this ripple effect. It affected my substance use, my codependency, my, you know, mm-hmm. disordered eating, my lack of boundaries and relationship. Like it all you know, once I was able to start looking at the root cause, you know, the root cause is typically kind of the same for everything. And then all these things that stem off are symptoms mm-hmm. of, you know, the the challenge or whatever it is that started it. So even like my self-harm, mm-hmm. you know, that that's something that I haven't even really talked about much, but that was another piece of that, you mm-hmm. know. So, but all of it was coping, you know, and learning how to survive from the things that I experienced. And some of it was also learned behavior. Yes. And I saw a meme on Facebook the other day that said, um, trauma is the gateway drug. Yes, I would absolutely. Trauma yeah. is the gateway drug. <clears throat> you know, you hear politicians and and uh, people in positions of authority talk about, you know, marijuana is the gateway drug and right. things like that. And for some people it might be, but a lot of times it, it's trauma. Right. Especially and, when I, I look at people that have, you know, higher... Uh, we'll say on the higher end of like substance use or mental health or eating disorders or whatever. And mm-hmm. I think, so I just took another, I was in trauma informed care a few weeks ago and we were talking about it. You know, they asked the question, um, you know, do you think everybody has trauma? I think 99% of people have trauma. The other 1% don't know what the fuck it is. Like, <laughs> like, trauma is not, it's not a cookie cutter thing either. You know, it's different for everybody and it's about perception and your experience. And I think we talked a little bit about this on one of the last episodes that, you know, what's traumatic for me, you may not think is traumatic. You know, it's about how you experienced it and what your beliefs about it were. And what your response was right. to it. So yeah. if there's so much that, that goes into it. So you may say like, oh, well, they didn't have a traumatic childhood. Well, maybe they, maybe it was for them because maybe mom and dad worked all the time and they, they were mm-hmm. alone. You know, maybe that ex- they experienced that as unsaved and unloved. That's that's trauma. Yes. Like, I don't know that people really understand the definition of trauma and what what it is. They don't. And it, we hear the word trauma and we, we think of, like, physical and sexual abuse right. or um, our veterans being, you know, going through traumatic war right. events and things <clears throat> like that and coming home with PTSD. And that is, that absolutely is trauma. Right. But... It can also be, you know, I mean, a child getting lost in a grocery store for right. an hour, you know? And right. it's like... Because when you think about that, you think about being a two-year-old who is learning the world and dependent upon their parents, and now all of a sudden, I'm alone. Oh, my God, am I going to make it out of here? Am I going to die? Am I safe? Where's my right. mom? Am I going to see her? Like, all of that, that's mm-hmm. that's traumatic. Like, and we see it with, with kids now, you know, I... I I think social media obviously is a, a variable that has to be considered, but the bullying, God, you know, so yeah. going to school and being bullied and 
coming home and then not being able to get away from that because right. of TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, right. and, you know, and it's, it's constant, you know, so that all feeds into this. Right. And I think that, you know, we've, there's always been issues with substance use and eating disorders and mental health, but I don't think that social media is helping. Um, because then you've got that all the time and then you've got people are so, I don't know what happened. And I do think a lot of it I'm going to blame on social media because there's a disconnect between people. Mm -hmm. So now there's this like detachment from reality and that you're dealing with a fucking person, right? you know, and that we're so insensitive and desensitized to hurtful and terrible things. Yes. Um, that I think that's fueling a lot more because like we're talking about earlier, dude, the, the, the numbers in you know, suicide and mental health and substance use and whatever you look at, the numbers in all of it are increasing at alarming rates. Right. You know, so what are we, what has changed and what are we doing wrong um, that is increasing all of it? All of it. And it's happening at younger and younger ages, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, you know, eating disorders, especially for young girls and going into like middle school or high school was already hard. Mm -hmm. And now you throw on top of it social media yeah you know and everybody's a, a keyboard gangster and you know talk shit yeah and then you see the messaging right on mm-hmm. social media like we we're talking about earlier unintentionally right when people are saying something about someone else and you read through the comments and then you're like oh well i look like that or i do that or what then you're already internalizing that and that's feeding your messaging right too and being able to challenge those core beliefs is usually where we have to start so looking at you know, your perception of yourself and your perception of yourself in the world and right. other people. But, you know, logging on to, you know, whatever social media platform it is and seeing that. And, you know, these days people are, are absolutely horrified at the idea of posting a picture without a filter. Right. You know, or without makeup on. And it's like, oh my God, I could never do that. Yeah. You know, and then this perception of if all you see are these filtered images. Right. And you're comparing yourself to that. Right. I mean, it's nothing new. I mean, it's right, always happening now. With, it's like with you know, it, it's it's in your face every day. Right. So having that, mm-hmm. but I wanted to share a couple of little statistics with you. You know, um, so it says that 28 million Americans um, will be diagnosed with an eating disorder in their lifetime. That's a lot. That's a lot. And without treatment, up to 20 percent actually um, die from eating disorder. So it has a very high mortality wow. rate. It's actually the I think it's the second highest uh, behind overdose. Mm. So that's scary. But with treatment, that number actually falls to 2 or 3%. So about 60, they, this is uh, <coughs> statistics from the National Eating Disorder Association, about 60% of people with eating disorders recover. That's and a big number. That's a pretty big number. Yeah. So it's definitely possible. Yeah. You know, um, I know for those that really have struggled and may, may have been hospitalized multiple times and... Um, really, you know, ha- have come to some really life-threatening conditions as a result mm-hmm. of their eating disorder, but it's it's definitely possible. And I've seen the success yeah. stories. So. And I'm hoping, you know, that's my hope with any of these episodes, you know, is that it gets people thinking and it gets people talking. So maybe somebody who has secretly, you know, dealt with disordered eating or an eating disorder or they feel like, you know, maybe it's an issue but they can't talk about it or they think that, you know, this is whatever. So hopefully something... I always hope that somebody gets something out of it and then that they can start their recovery journey because, you know, for that many people to struggle with it, that's a lot, you know? That's a lot. But I didn't know that the rates were so, the, you know, the percentage of people with um, 
recovery for eating disorders was that high. Because that's one that I think as a nation we shifted a lot and we started talking more about mental health and substance use. But eating disorder is not one you hear a lot about. No, no. And I, I hate to say that it's kind of considered, from what I've seen in some circles, a, a privileged disorder. Right. And what I mean by that is that it's not something that uh, someone of low socioeconomic status struggles with. Mm-hmm. You know, that you only see it in some of the more affluent uh, right. populations. But you do. You, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at, you know, disordered eating, food rituals, mm-hmm. um, you know, having that unhealthy relationship with food, hoarding food because maybe you were without food for right. a long time. Right, and that's time. what I was going to say. I do think it absolutely impacts that, that you know, that class of, of economic status because... Food insecurity can, you know, mm-hmm. feed into an eating disorder. Right. Like, 100%. Like, if that's, you know, you didn't have food growing up, so now now you hoard food or you binge eat or whatever. You go to food because it is safety and comfort. Um, you know, that's what that's what some of mine was because, you know, the holidays, mm-hmm. you always had food. And we yeah. always had holidays at my grandma's house. My grandma's house was... Kind of like a safe place. So their food yes. is safety, you know? And for some people, they use it as a love language, too. Yeah. So I know, like, my grandmother, yeah. if you came over to her, she's going to feed you. God, feed what you. does you that want say? More? Do you want more? The weight of his heart is his stomach. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. So, you know, being able to set those boundaries, too, right. you know, of, hey... I'm full. Right. You know, I don't, I don't need any more. Yeah. That third piece of pie looks really good, but you know, maybe, you know, my body's telling me that I'm full. Right. Um, but also being able to set those boundaries in a loving way, yeah. you know, with somebody who, you know, is, has good intentions. Right. But Cause maybe, I think maybe that's definitely aware. a generational thing. It you is. Know, the, the food is a love language. Yeah. So, cause uh, you know, you think about some of our family members that went without food right. and, and, Food is a a, for, a source of security for people, mm-hmm. so having that. But, I mean, it's, you're around food. I mean, you can't drive down the, the highway without a billboard of a burger. Right. So having the, those coping skills to manage that for some people, that may be triggering, yeah. you know. And it's, it's kind of hard for people to wrap their brain around that somebody might be triggered by a billboard of a burger, but I've had it. I've had clients that I've worked with that, I mean, you know, it's just have. like anything else, so, you know. Anything like, else. People being triggered by a billboard of alcohol. Yeah. It's not, it's not any different, you know, right. it's the same, the same thing behind it. And I think, you know, as society as a whole, we've gotten so far away from nutritional eating mm-hmm. and fueling your body in a, a positive way right. that it's even harder to deal with now. Yes. Know? Oh yeah. Because I mean, you know, it's, it's okay. Well, if you eat this, you know, then you can look like this. Right. Or, oh, you know, if you if you join this diet plan or this meal delivery service, you know, you can lose 20 pounds. By, Dude, you know, and it's... Health and wellness, and I say that in quotes, is such a, um, a profitable, profitable business oh, yeah. right now because everybody wants to look a certain way, so they're literally willing to do mm-hmm. anything that it takes. And I found myself doing the same thing. Dude, I've done... All of it to like the it works stuff to like plexus to ketone like whatever mm-hmm. um you know I've I've done it all and like I even did keto for a while two years lost a ton of weight one still felt the same exact way about myself mm-hmm. in my head still mm-hmm. saw myself the same exact way but then two once I gave myself a little bit of fun food mm-hmm. I binged for like two fucking years like I'm just now getting back to where I know for me I have to. I have to, one, address the underlying issue, right? My beliefs and my relationship with myself and my coping, mm-hmm. right? Because when I stopped using drugs, I still smoked cigarettes and I quit smoking cigarettes. So, like, now food 
food is a lot of coping for me. Um, right. So I'm still not, you know, I have to look at how I'm coping with things, what my messaging is, you know, and, and the mindful eating like you're talking about. Like I catch myself all the time. Why am I actually eating this? Right. You know, um, but we, I think we don't slow down enough in general to, to pay attention to those things. Definitely and not. Figure out it's a what fast paced society. Of yeah. Go, 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 go. You're going to be late. Go, right. go, go. Right. And one of my favorite things from Brene Brown what, recently that I've been working on I is like her. busyness as a sign of stashy. You know, like if I'm doing all these things mm-hmm. and going all the time and I've got this going on and this kid's here, here, and here and I'm involved in this, like that makes you worthy. But like that's, it's kind of the same concept that we're talking about now. Like you're trying to do it all. Yes. And there's only so many hours a day. Yeah, I've 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 read that and I love her. And it, uh, but um, that sign of exhaustion as a, a medal of honor, yes. like it's 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 prized in our society to be exhausted and overwhelmed right. and work eighty hours a week. You know, it's like okay, well, that balance. Right. You're not actually taking balance? care of yourself. No, you're not. And who wants to work eighty hours a week mm-hmm. and never see their kids <laughs> and never you know have downtime right. and you know lazy Sundays or whatever? It's mm-hmm. it's it's it's. it's it's really prevalent, and I, th- I think it's something that we have to kind of look at, you know, and find that balance within ourselves. Is this, is this, am I working too much? Okay. Am I not working enough? Do I not feel like I'm, you know, being productive? Yeah. Am I, uh, and I, am I taking care of myself? Mm-hmm. Am I taking, am I spending more time taking care of other people than, than taking care of myself? You know, yeah. the whole, you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. So. And I'm going to do a whole episode on, you know, working in the field or in a helping profession because, especially if you're someone oh, yes. that is in recovery, mm. it's, it's hard. It's and very it's hard. a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and people I, don't think yeah. about it. People don't really think about it. Yeah, I mean, working in this field is challenging as it is. Yeah. So adding that and trying to balance all of those things right. and keep yourself in check while helping others. Yeah. You know. And not letting their recovery become your recovery. Yes. It's... It's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I, I trust me. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, but there's 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 a way to do it, and there is you know so, well there's several ways to do it actually. But you know if we're talking about different pathways to recovery, but being able to kind of sit with yourself and one little trick I use for the the hunger cues and things like intuitive eating is looking at um, how full am I, how hungry am I, rating myself on a scale of you know zero to ten. And, I've never even thought about that. Yeah. Slowing down and going, okay, really, am I hungry or am I just bored and want to sit in front of Netflix right. for the next hour and a half and kind of just tune out for a second? Right. Am I actually hungry? And something I've noticed I do, like, I'll, I tend to restrict when I'm trying to lose weight. So I will eat, like, nothing, right, at work, like uh, pork rinds and a cheese stick. <laughs> and by the time I get home... I'm fucking, I feel like I'm starving, starving, right? So I come in and I instantly like shove everything that I can see in my face. And then I'm like, ugh, like I wasn't that hungry. Mm -hmm. And what I ate didn't fuel my body. Like I actually feel like shit now. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm super sensitive and in tune with my body. So like I can, when I eat something, it's not just like I feel bad. Like I'm tired. I have a headache. I'm lethargic. Like whatever. Like all of the things. Like I just feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not, you know. And then afterwards, I feel guilty and sometimes even shame. You know. And on a later episode, we can go into the difference because it is a huge difference. We can um, do a whole episode. On yeah. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I've never thought about how hungry am I. It's either I'm, you know, not hungry or hungry. Like, but mm-hmm. how. How hungry? How hungry am I? Like, <laughs> yeah, just a little hungry, you know. Right, a two, a three, you know, and yeah, figuring out, you know, 
can it wait? Do I need to, you know, maybe it's something, a light snack, yeah. you know, or something as opposed to a full-blown meal if right. you're not that hungry, you know. And that, that, that helps me, you know, being able to kind of figure out, okay, what, what is my intention with this and why am I, you know, hungry? Am I really hungry? Because that's the other piece of this. So people with eating disorders, it actually changes your, your brain, these behaviors over time mm-hmm. can actually change your hunger cues. Right. So it actually kind of, for some people that have been restricting, you get to a point where you're not hungry. Right, because your body's learned. Your, your, your body's been <clears throat> in starvation mode for right. so long that it's, it's, okay, how do I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel hungry. Right. So when you're not feeling hungry and you're forcing yourself to eat because of maybe, a, you know, the medical state of your body and mm-hmm. that you're, you're really in an unhealthy state and you need to eat to, to become more nourished, um, it, it feels like a chore, right. you know. Um, and, and hard to do. Right. And then it becomes, a, a, a for somebody who purges, you know, it actually becomes an automatic reflex after yeah. a certain point. So your brain actually, it's hard for you to swallow food and not purge. You know, I've, I've seen wow. with, with a lot of the women and men that I've worked with with eating disorders that struggle with bulimia. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's not even a, I'm making myself throw up. It's just up. happening. It's just an automatic, just the feeling of food in my throat yeah. or in my stomach triggers that and that it's an automatic response. So okay. then having to retrain your ba- your brain and your body to identify those hunger cues and also train yourself to not purge, you right. know. And sometimes there's some medical intervention that needs to happen with some medical doctors and getting some 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 assistance with that, but uh, being able to slow down and go, okay, let me retrain my body and my brain to... I was just kind of reading about some of this the other day. And our bodies and our brain absolutely fascinate me. Like, we are fucking astonishing creatures, dude. Because what I was, I was like reading about water intake. Mm-hmm. And it actually, honestly, it made me feel a little guilty. Because I realized why Elena doesn't ever drink water. Like, she will go an entire day and drink one glass of water. Mm. And your body's made of, what, like 75% water? You absolutely yes. need water. Absolutely. But our bodies are so good at trying to maintain homeostasis and balance and level out so when you go without water your body adjusts and you're not thirsty mm-hmm. like you don't get thirsty because your body's had to you know and I'm like oh my god like because <laughs> yeah so and I think that's kind of the same thing what you're talking about is your body learns to not be hungry mm-hmm. like survival yeah yeah I, yeah I just it's funny you mentioned that I, I told my husband yesterday because he's trying to get more healthy and um, he's been drinking a lot of sweet tea and a lot of mm-hmm. sodas and things like that and he's drinking water. And he's like, I don't like water, you know, and it's like, <laughs> drink water. Your body will actually crave it after right. a certain point. I love water. Yeah, I love water. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I can't go anywhere without water. Yeah. So I said, your body will actually start to crave water right. the more you eliminate those things. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot to keep up with. Uh, text everybody back, respond to your emails, go to work, no. eat healthy, take care of your kids. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. just another part of that balance. Yeah. And so. I think, you know, I learned a few things today and I hope that, you know, somebody was able to learn something or take something from it, you know, and um, I always enjoy these episodes and podcasts and I'm really glad that you came and I appreciate you having on and I know I'll have you on again. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So until next time, um, we'll talk to you next week.